Welcome to another edition of Unplugged as we gear up towards what is now a particularly crucial game. It's been nearly a, a week since St Kilda last played and we probably needed that time really to not just process it, but also come back into the fold. It was one of those performances, particularly on a Friday night, that leaves you sort of stepping away from football for a while. It was bitterly disappointing. Last year, we came together on this show a few times after very disappointing losses, losses that hurt, but probably none quite as much as that. And I think it is that that hope and, and belief and confidence and expectation that can bring about that level of disappointment. And it's a level of disappointment that you kind of feel like we're the only club that can genuinely produce it to that level. Um, we're always talking about Essendon games and the influence. It's always the shocker. It's always the the loss that potentially derails things. And now, obviously, the challenge falls very much at their feet. That was their worst performance for the year. They've had a very good season, it must be said, but that was a genuine shocker. Their first genuine shocker for the year in reality. But it came at the worst time because with Collingwood and Richmond and the Bulldogs building a bit of momentum underneath them and and certainly in Collingwood and Richmond's case with easier draws, we needed to maintain our advantage on the table and we gave that up so much so that if the Western Bulldogs beat Hawthorne on Friday night, we'll drop out of the eight before our game is played. So obviously a chance to, to get back into it, but we still need to find five wins. We needed to find five wins at the start of that Essendon game. And we find ourselves in that position now, needing to do it the hard way. We, we probably felt that with Essendon, Hawthorne and West Coast to come, that you might bank those three and try to find the other two that you need. Now we've obviously got to try to find three that we need across the way. But it was a really frustrating performance, one where the immediate reaction was it, it, it hurts, but probably a level of anger and disappointment. We know what the game and the day meant to the football club. Um, and it's a second year in a row, really, that they haven't shown up for that particular occasion. I know it was Melbourne last year and they turned out to be a very good side, but our performance was was certainly lacking. And um, I think there's, there's an element of disappointment that comes in that. There's an element of why Essendon again, and there's an element of, You've built it up. You've shown all of the promise and everything you've done this year in terms of commitment, pressure, intensity suggested that you had moved beyond that. And all of a sudden you pull that out right when you didn't need to, when you desperately didn't need to. And and that was the part that that frustrated me the most. And HL might throw it over to you first. Um, There's probably not much to review from a game point of view other than to to suggest how how painful it was. Um, I think I I got so down deep into it last week saying just just how important of a game it was just i was trying to find the words last week to say we can't drop this match and we've simply gone out and played an absolute shocker and and absolutely done that and you just you just sort of think where where what what were we doing what were we looking at how how did we go into this game um we, we know what's at stake, but it just didn't feel like we were that interested. It, it just felt there was players that were like, some felt, like, I think they just turned and thought, oh, we just win this and that's it. And you can never go into a game thinking we just got to turn up. It's it's not how it works. And I mean, we said how, how big a game this um bigger danger the game this was we rattled you rattled off a few other games from previous years where it's exactly the same situation and it's it's just repeated and you just look and go yeah 
If that's how we go into a game, we don't deserve to win a game like that. And yeah, as you're saying, the Bulldogs win this week before we play and we drop out of the eight and you sort of go, well, if we're losing to the third bottom team, that's probably where we belong. So it's 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 a shocking game to look back on. You know, I I don't think I could even sit through the five-minute bite off on KO at the moment. It's just the sort of game you go, I, I never want to see another replay of that again. It, it's just not something you would want to do to yourself. So, yeah, and I think the less, less this game spoken about, the better, to be honest. So, yeah, well, hopefully... Hopefully, I've had a bit of a rocket up in this week and we'll come out firing this week and put put it to Sydney. And we know we know Sydney can turn up on their night and cause some real damage. So, yeah, let, let's hope that we decide that this game is actually an important match and we show up. It's, it's one of those ones that it's difficult even a, a week later to, I guess, find the the words to describe what happened on Friday night. I mean, it, I think for the first time in a very long time, the, the overriding emotion was anger. And I think we're all used to, we're all used to that. That's so St. Kilda. It's why we talk about it. It's why it's, it's why we have that conversation every week. That's so St. Kilda because it's, it's kind of part of the history and the fabric of our football club is that it's disappointing things happen to us. And it's these weird things that only seem to happen to us at, at times happen to us. And yeah, I've spoken to a number of people throughout the week. I've barely wanted to talk about St Kilda. I haven't worn the colours. I'm wearing the colours tonight for the first time all, all week. Uh, as soon as the game was over, literally as soon as the, the final siren went, I turned the TV off and, and went to bed, um, which I, I can't say I've done for a, a very long time. Um, but this this was different. This this wasn't disappointing that the you know, Charlie Clausen said, I had a text exchange with him during the week, that St Kilda fans have this um, cumulative PTSD as a fan base. We, we've got PTSD and we're so used to this stuff happening. And, and even, even that didn't seem to, I guess, be strong enough to, to, to describe how I felt. And like I said, we're used to the disappointment and, and um, I can't believe St Kilda just did that. that that's so St Kilda. It's so St Kilda to lose that type of game. You know, you lose the unlosable game. You lose games that you shouldn't lose. But for, for me, that it wasn't so much that. It was how the fuck did we lose that game? How the fuck could we turn up? Again. How the fuck could we turn up in that yeah. in that respect and, and pay tribute to a legend of our football club, our former skipper, known for his toughness and his passion and his heart, and deliver that sort of performance? Like that was the that was the overall emotion. I, I was ropeable from Friday night through probably Wednesday. And that's, that's when it started to mellow a little bit. And you start thinking about next week and well, does it, you know, if, if we beat the Swans, does that, does that even it up? Do, you know, if, if, if we come in and, and we win a game that we're probably not expected to win, does that even up the ledger a little bit? And, and uh, I, I'm still disappointed enough and, and angry enough at that performance to think that maybe no, like we could win this by 20 goals and I'm not sure that it makes up for the performance, not the loss because you lose games of football and that happens, but the performance was out of the box. That was something different. There was something that I was not expecting. Uh, and it was just, it was more than disappointing. It was, it was frustrating. It was anger inducing. And I just felt, I felt for the Frawley family. I felt for the fan base. I felt for everybody that was 
hurting because it was it was a real deep hurt. And, and you mentioned H at the, at the top. Um, you know, we spoke about this last week. This is this is the the definition of a must win game. I mean, it was a super important game for the 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 future of our footy club for the the season, the way that it stands for what's coming up over the next six or eight weeks. But intrinsically for the fabric of our football club to, to show up, to turn up and deliver a performance of, of passion and of heart and of guts for, for Spud. And, and that was really important. And, and we just failed. Like that was an abject failure. And that's the only way that I can, I can describe it. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. I think one of the big words that's been spoken about really amongst most Saints fans on social media, this podcast, the Red, White and Black Boys with their, their pieces as well, has been trust. So learning to trust. And, and one thing over the season was we were starting to learn that even when they didn't play particularly well, there was a base level of effort. They'd fight back that they might eventually get beaten, but they every time a side got on top of them, they'd wrestle it back and come back into the game and hang in there. I mean, the Collingwood loss, they rallied back. The Melbourne game, they rallied back. The Port game, they just didn't kick straight Brisbane they had a crack in the face of injuries you you were starting to feel that okay well they're they're a pretty good side they're they're winning a lot of games and and in the games they don't win they're not turning up their toes they're having a dip and all of a sudden you get to the end of Friday night and you're like no I can't trust you you've done it again you've you've pulled one of those out at a time like this when it didn't look like that was in your DNA anymore it looked like you'd got rid of that last year there were a couple of them and you thought you know shit I don't know what they're going to do when we show up each week but now you don't know that again. Do they do they lift against Sydney? Do they do it for half a game? And it's that trust and faith that they've got to work back into it. And I think that's the, the disappointing one. It, it's, it almost feels like a sense of betrayal. I mean, teams have shockers, but you don't have shockers then. You don't have shockers when you need them like that. Like maybe Brisbane having a shocker at the time of this recording. Um, you're playing a good side. You're, you're away from home at a ground you don't play well at. You know, there, there were no excuses for us to do that. And, and you it's not just the hurt it does for you, but there's a lot of people that you know in your life that also support it as well. And I got the following text from my dad, who's as, as passionate a Saints fan as you could find the morning after the game. And it sort of summed up the way I felt. And he texted me saying, um, my father met my mother in St Kilda. He sold footy records at the Junction Oval in the 1940s when he was eight years old. He lived in St Kilda. He went to the 66 flag. My cousin Trevor and I went to every bloody game through the 70s and every game through the 80s when we were shit. But last night, bloody hurt, embarrassing. And it's things like that where you're like, the amount of shit that you consistently go through all of the time. And we'll get to it a little bit later when we when we preview the Sydney game, but it is on them and it is retrievable. It, it doesn't necessarily make up for the Essendon game, but it's what they have to do now. You, you've got to go out there and and basically get that back. You get that back. You get things back the way they were supposed to be. You've made it harder for yourself, but that's your fault. So fix it. it it's funny. You use some pretty strong words there, Parker. I mean, we talk about football. Football's just a game, right? Football's a game. It's a bunch of blokes or, or girls no. getting together and, and playing <laughs> playing a game on a whatever it is, a Friday night, a Saturday afternoon or, or whatever. But, you know, we we talk about this football club and, and spoken to guys like Charlie or Phil Daladakis or Matt Hardy about this show being a bit of a, a, a therapy session at times. And, and sometimes it feels like it can be cathartic to vent or rant or, or whatever. But you talk about trust and betrayal. And these are these are things that are not... I guess feelings of fans of something that they're, they're, they're feelings and emotions of, of real people that are in a relationship with something and, and you know, another entity. And for us, it's, it's our football club. And 
to to feel like you lose trust, to feel like you've been betrayed or humiliated and, and embarrassed. Like that they're, they're real human, serious emotions. And and the amount of that that we've seen in, in, in the last week has been more than you know that that text message from from your old man says it says just about everything there that 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 loss was a failure and we're used to being disappointed you know we said it before we're used to being disappointed by this football club but but this was this felt more than that and it's going to take more than just another win to 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 make up for it we've had some disappointing losses this year i mean you look at collingwood was disappointing but round one shit happens um you don't turn up for, for, for two quarters or whatever. You're not quite prepared and, and a team takes advantage. Port Adelaide. Now that's, that's so St Kilda, you know, that's a game that you shouldn't lose. We'll be the, the better team for most of the night and we let it slip. That's so St Kilda. It's super disappointing. Uh, Melbourne, Melbourne, just a, a clinical, efficient football team, just a level above Brisbane. We're much better. I know we, we know what we faced through the second half, but you know what, even if we hadn't lost two guys in, in, in that game or three guys in that game, we were probably still not good enough and Brisbane were just better on the day and that's okay. But this was, this was something else. This was absolute abject failure on our own behalf to not turn up, to not show up and to not perform on the bigger stage. And we've, we've shown that time and time again, over our history, you get primetime games, you get big, big time, you know, big stage under the lights, Friday night, event games, tribute games, milestone games and we bottle it and we bottled it again and h i don't know if people were looking closely at the ladder a lot of journalists kept writing things about oh you know top four chances and all that sort of stuff if we don't find an upset victory somewhere then that is a catastrophic loss in terms of our finals chances not our top four chances but our finals chances so unless we upset somebody we won't make the eight yeah well i mean we knew the draw that was coming up ahead of us we knew that beating Essendon was crucial, knowing who was coming after it. The, the, the fixture we have coming up, it's almost, we've, we've almost got to play all the teams that we will be coming up against in finals if we make it. I mean, in a way, that's great. If we make it, we know we've beaten these teams. That, that's the best way to look at it. But now we're, the fact is we have to beat these teams to get there. And at the moment, yeah, they're all they're all pretty much sitting above us. They're all traveling okay at the moment. And it's just you look at the fixture ahead and you go, these teams turn up, we're not gonna beat them. And it's a fact of if we haven't if we didn't drop the Port Adelaide game, if we turn up against Essendon and beat them. We're currently sitting comfortably inside the top four. Mm. And that's how you have to look at these two losses. I think I mean, we talk about, oh, yeah, we've, we've picked off a couple of games against Geelong or we've, we've beaten Richmond earlier in the year, um, beat Frio. But that's what it, that's if we're a good team, we win those games, but we also win the game against Port Adelaide. We also win the game against Essendon. It's, it's, it's just a situation of where, we're not where we should be now. I mean, let, let's just take one of those games um, with the right result. We could even, even, yeah, even with just the one extra win with the right, I guess, a good win or whatever, we could still be either in the top four or just out of it. It's, 
it shows you how crucial these games have been. And yeah, we've, we've failed at the first hurdle and the hurdle, hurdles coming up in front of us are a, a lot higher than the ones we've just tried to get over. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's not going to be easy. And the only way to look at it, I guess, is if we do make it there, we've actually deserved it. Correct. And those good wins show that you are still capable of it. But yeah. um, H, if you could find three good players, um, you can kick us off with the votes. Well, the best of what was there, I guess, was the, the way to look at it. Um, I, I ended up giving, oh, I sort of looked at it in the way of, I went to the stats afterwards and looked and went, all right, who's cost us on the night? Um, I looked at players, like just going through, the clangers to begin with. I mean, you had Rowan Marshall had 14 touches, seven clangers. You had Dan Butler had 10 disposals. He had six clangers. Even Cal Wilkie, 16 touches, six clangers. They're, they're big percentages of, big percentages of their possessions that they've turned over directly. So those players, obviously, I'm, I'm leaving out automatically. Um, they could Speaking have been which, I drove past Marvel Stadium before and, and Dan Butler still hadn't kicked the footy uh, at the uh, <laughs> at the left of screen in that second quarter. Yeah. He's still running around in the pocket. Yeah, oh, there, was some, there was some interesting decisions or non-decisions, you might say, made by him on the night. Um, but I went gave one to Brad Crouch. I, th- I, th- I thought he was... He gave a lot on the night. He, he was, I reckon he was one that actually kept trying yep. all night. Um, if he didn't have the ball, he was actually chasing. If he didn't, um, if he didn't do the right thing with the ball, there's a few times where he tried to make up for it. So there was it was a night where he, I, he, he didn't have his best night ever, but I reckon he put in some pretty good effort and probably showed a bit more heart than pretty much the rest of the team looking on on the night. So I, I gave him one for just just. The effort, he might have been a great game for him, but yeah, he actually showed that it kind of meant something to him on the night that he was really going to dig in for us. Um, Jack Sinclair um, gave two to him. Uh, only had, I think it was only, you know, he turned it over once on the night in his 31 disposals. So I mean, that's basically the best way you can look at it going, he used the ball, he used it well. He, I think I think his one clanger was an absolute shocker. Yeah, probably the worst of the yeah. year. But it was the only yeah, one. <laughs> probably, yeah, but but that is the only time he gave the ball back to him in thirty-one touches. Hmm. Um, he, he, everything else he did was brilliant. Um, but it's just that sort of night that his one mistake was going to be highlighted terribly. So um, it, it's took a bit of gloss off the night he had, but he, he was probably our second best on field. Uh, and best on clearly Jade Gresham. Um, I mean, 28 touches, three goals, and it's a sort of a match winning performance when you actually win the match. Um, it's it's sort of uh, I looked, what was it? He he turned the ball over a few times, but they were all the same as what we've seen all year. They were sort of out of the middle going to the opposition. I, I, I think we need to start figuring out something else. I, it's it's not, that can't completely be his fault. It is, it's, if he's can constantly getting the ball out of the centre, we need to be doing something to take that mark instead of the 
defensive players getting it every time. There's got to be something done about that. He's clearing the ball out for us. I mean, yes, he doesn't always look. He just kicks it out of there. But that happens sometimes. But he shouldn't be having so many of his clearance kicks being marked by the opposition straight away. We've got to figure out something to change this up. We need someone in position going, if Jade gets this, the ball's coming here. We need yeah. to read it better. So the, yeah. I don't think he can be blamed for it. But yeah, as I said, three goals, three out touches, seven inside 50s. He gave us enough to win the match, but we just didn't use it well enough. Yeah, I gave, um, I thought Billings was okay. A little bit too outside, but he was okay. I thought Seb Ross was okay. Uh, Crouch was okay. I gave a vote to Sinclair. I said my all I remember from the game from him was that turnover, but he obviously did a lot of good things. But I, I just remember that was a stinker and it stood out to, at the time. But still played a good game. He was creative. He he worked hard. Uh, I gave him one vote. I gave two votes to to Josh Battle. I thought he held up pretty well um, in a game where our defence was under siege and most of our defenders played poorly, uh, like Wilkie and, and Howard had bad days. I thought Battle was the the only one that really did resist and. Nine marks, I think eight intercept possessions. Um, used it pretty well. Um, so he gets two votes. He's probably going to have to play in the ruck a bit this week. Um, and I gave three votes to Jay Gresham. Not a perfect game, but I think a lot of his mistakes were brought about by the, the lack of system, the lack of movement, the lack of direction from players further up the ground. I mean, there was a lot of the handbrake turns where he runs down the wing, stops, kicks it backwards, kicks it into the middle. He turned one over terribly in the first quarter, which led to the opening goal of the game to, to Essendon. But I think a lot of where he got into trouble was that he wasn't getting the same level of work rate from teammates that um, that he was providing. He was he was sort of running and then having to be next in the, in the link. I thought he gave us a bit of a lift in the third, a bit of a lift in the last. So, People were right on Twitter when they said, you know, 28 possession, three goal game. You, you see much better 28 possession, three goal games. Yes, but I'm not convinced that was his fault. And I can't make an argument in my mind anyway for many other players at all to have been put on that level. So, um, yeah, I think he gets the uh, gets the three votes and in an incomplete game, um, which probably says a bit about our performance. But, Nick, your, uh, your votes? I'm going to be very contrarian. <laughs> This, this worries me. Uh, I think you're right. I think Jack Sinclair was okay. I think Brad Crouch was okay. I thought Jack Billings was okay. Uh, Jade Gresham gets a vote in what I think is possibly the worst 30 touch three goal game I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he gets, he gets a vote because he worked bloody hard and he, he tried his guts out and he was creative when he was forward. But I think, we're now at the stage where he needs to be a creative forward that pinch hits in the middle and not the other way around. I think what we've seen this year, uh, he's had more support around him than ever before in the middle. Uh, he's a liability when he wins the ball in the middle of the ground. He, he wins clearance after clearance and continually turns the ball over uh, in important spots. He gets caught, like you said, Parker, these handbrake turns where he wins the ball runs one way to the wing and then steps back inside, turns around and gets caught or a hospital handball to someone running past who's got a bloke behind him and in front of him. Uh, and these continual bombs to two or three or four defenders standing in that particular spot. He, he has no vision or I, I guess football IQ as a midfielder. I, I think he has the, he has the skill set to be a very, very, very good footballer. And has the 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 ability to win 
to win clearances, to win the ball in tight, like not many his size in the competition do. But there's no point getting 30 touches if you turn it over 25, 25 times. Like it is, it is becoming a liability for our football club and the way that we want to play because we want to move it fast and he continually stops and props and gives the ball away. He, he gets a vote because I thought he was very good in those moments when he was pushed forward, very creative in front of goal and he worked his ass off and there's no doubting that, but I think we need to work out what his role is in our system, in our, in our squad. He, he deserves a place in our team. He's a very important player, but what he's doing at the moment is hurting us more often than it's helping us. And I don't know if it's a coaching issue or a player issue. I'm, I'm, I don't know. But he gets a vote anyway. Tim Embry gets two votes because I think in a game where we lacked leadership, he stood tall. It was by no means his best game. He's played much better games of football for us. But his ability to read the play, to understand what's happening on the field, there aren't many blokes who are out there on Friday night that that have that ability and that understanding. And I think that he did his utmost to try and stop that at times. It didn't always work, but again, this is, this is about effort and there weren't that many blokes that put in that effort. Uh, and I thought Josh battle, uh, I mean, uh, like I said, it was in both of, I think it was in both of your, your votes, maybe missed yours. H, I don't remember, but um, I thought Josh battle was, was clearly our, our best player and his ability to, to read the game in, in a position that was under siege. For, for most of it. Uh, didn't have a ton of it. He had 14 touches, but his decision-making with it was very good. 86% disposal efficiency. Like you said, Parker, nine marks and, and nine intercept possessions. Uh, I thought he stood tall and was one of the very few that could hold his head high, as he has been most of the year. Um, but all in all, I mean, it was very tough to pick three blokes to give votes to. Yeah, absolutely. And you feel like you were giving guys votes that wouldn't have got close. Um, 100%. I mean, Josh Battle's giving giving Josh Battle three yeah. was probably the, the 10th best player on the ground. Um, yeah. And I don't think... That, seven out of 10 games. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think Essendon were particularly good. No. And that's you know, the frustrating part that's about That's the it. indictment. That's the indictment. Um, yeah. It's not like they were another good side and just outpointed us on the day. It was a, yeah. a bitterly disappointing. Our... Next guest is an interesting one. We've gone down the admin path a couple of times. Obviously, Ross Oakley, one of those examples, although he did play Force and Kilda. Uh, our next guest was a president of the football club during some of the more significant times for probably most of our lives barracking for the club. And I speak, of course, of Andrew Plimpton. Well, I guess the good news is the lights can't go out today after that last meeting. Was that the weirdest thing that's happened during your presidency, the last time Essendon played St Kilda at Waverley? I think it was. Human behaviour was uh, was interesting to watch uh, the night uh, those lights went out. I guess the other uh, part which was amazing was to get 17,000 people back uh, uh, two days later at Waverley Park for 20 minutes of football. Was there a president's dinner during the replay? Yes, there was. The AFL put on pies and pasties to bring it back to what football used to be <laughs> oh, like. Oh, mod cons. Now, let's talk about the Docklands, because obviously on face value, it's a good deal for the AFL, or appears to be. Is there a place for St Kilda in the Docklands? I think there is, uh, quite definitely, uh, for one reason, uh, that the AFL, the AFL has clearly stated that uh, it's going to get rid of Waverley Park. Uh, therefore, uh, we could well be without a home uh, Unless a private developer, uh, Hawthorne and uh, Collingwood want to do a deal out at Waverley Park, that puts a number of options for us. Uh, but yes, quite clearly the Docklands is a good option for St Kilda Football Club. 
Well, Andrew Plimpton was president of the Saints from 1993 through until the year 2000. A heck of a lot happened during that period. Multiple coaches, a pre-season premiership, an AFL grand final in 1997, a move from Waverley Park to the, the Docklands. Technically, obviously, at the start of the move from Moorabbin to Waverley, which happened between 92 and 93. Obviously, the passing of a, of a club legend in there as well in, in Trevor Barker. There was a heck of a lot to work through. The AFL was... Uh, working on mergers, and our name had been thrown up a couple of times during that period. But but here we are, and, and Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, pleasure, Darren. Yes, a lot happened in nine years. Uh, what I wanted to start with, we had Ross Oakley on a few weeks ago, obviously talking about his hard luck stories through the 60s, but, but also we asked him the question as to how perilous it got for St Kilda during that period when there was the Hawthorne and Melbourne talk and the eventual Fitzroy merger. He said we were never as close as a lot of other clubs is is that an accurate reflection? Were we always relatively comfortable despite what happened in the uh, in the mid-90s with the Save Our Saints? Yeah, I mean, I had a discussion. Uh, the ball, I had a discussion with a number of clubs and uh, uh, perhaps the one I got closest to uh, on behalf of the club uh, was the Carlton Football Club. So uh, people didn't think that I'd do it, uh, but, you know, in a sense that it, it was uh, a position that we didn't talk about football colours, position on the ladder or a number of premierships that was, you know, a likely fit if we were to go down that uh, down down that path. So um, I spent all, you know, a good deal of time with uh, with John Elliott and uh, with the Blues and uh, um, interesting times. Andrew, I guess going back to the the very start, but you, you're a you're a football nut. You, you're well known to to love the game of football. How did you end up yeah. uh, at the footy club? Okay, so I loved the Saints uh, uh, as a young guy. I lived in I lived in Brighton, so I used to go in my very youngish days to the Fitzroy Street ground uh, and saw the emergence of Ditchwich, etc., like that. So I started off as a, a strong supporter of the club, and I joined the Halos at a fairly young age. And then they asked me to become chairman of the marketing committee for the club. Um, back in those days, Nick, there was. Um, uh, both the football club and the social club. So there was two different corporations, two different entities. Some would argue very much at war with each other during various times of the career. So I, I sat between both of them. Um, and then um, when we were when we did the deal, which I wasn't part of, I wasn't on the board, to sign up to move to Waverley, there was a, a high level of discontent within the membership of the club. There was a huge faction of the club that didn't want to uh, leave Moorabbin um, and and go to Waverley. So uh, the board uh, um, had had a few issues with various pressure groups. So they asked me to intervene and become, if you like, the conduit to the within the social club and the football club and these groups. So there was a group called Keep the uh, Saints at St Kilda and uh, I should use one name who's well-known in St Kilda circles who was very much involved with that, called Bruce Eva. So there was a, a group of active people. Uh, they were, they were uh, determined, but they were also, um, they were polite, they, were, they thought things through. So that was six or seven months of going through that. And, and from that, and, and when we finally got the vote to move to Waverley, um, the club asked me whether I'd be interested in becoming uh, the president of the club. So I spent a very small amount of time on the board and became president quick, pretty quickly, uh, soon after that. 
when you first came into the club, was there any ideas that you might have brought up that you say, oh, oh, this is sort of what I can see could be something that could work for the club or this this is not working for the club or anything that you tried to implement or that may not have happened that you thought might have been a good idea? Yeah, look, uh, I went with very much, you know, with an open mind. I, you know, lived as we all have. It's cool to live with, you know, the one premiership saga all our lives and all the baggage that goes with that. And I, I could just add, look, I've been very fortunate since St Kilda. You know, I was in charge of Olympic sailing for three Olympic Games. And, you know, we're number one in the world, um, number two uh, medal team in Australia next to swimming. And I've also been involved with the Institute of Sport for 10 years as a member and director of the Institute of Sport in Canberra. So, you know, in that sense, I've had 30 years' experience now in high-performance sport. One of the issues, I guess, that I saw from um, coming on board school, I always thought that Moorabbin, as much as an emotional, lovely place, was a millstone around our neck. And, you know, one thing I did was some research in history of why St Kilda, one of the reasons why St Kilda was unsuccessful. And uh, people seem to, I won't say forget, but not give enough credence to the fact that we had spent so much time and energy and planning of moving out of Fitzroy Street to uh, Moorabbin. We spent all our spare cash on building stadiums, the Graham Huggard stand and all the, all the rest of it. But we missed that era in football of where footballers were being transferred on Form 4s, et cetera, like that. And we just didn't have the cash to compete. And, um, you know, when you consistently don't have cash to compete in the marketplace, you get yourselves uh, behind the eight ball. And that's exactly what we did. And of course, in those days, when you were trying to attract players from Adelaide, Western Australia, Tassie, etc., and you didn't have either form or the likelihood of form, you know, going into the 70s, where we expanded into uh, Moorabbin, it was just a difficult time for the club. And I think one of the things is not blaming people. People did a great job in keeping the club alive, but it was just a very difficult time. We were financially behind the eight ball. Can you take us through how you negotiated through some of the challenges in the first two years? So obviously, 93, we're at a new home. The form, unfortunately, dropped off a little bit. We had the Nicky Winmar situation with his yeah. manager where he left for a while. And then, yeah. obviously, a coaching change at the end of that year with Sheldon going out, Elves coming in. And then 12 yeah. months later, you lose Tony Lockett. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know, in, in that sort of uh, that sort of order, uh, the Winmar situation uh, situation I was very much involved with uh, of recovering Nick back to the club. There was all sorts of issues of lack of trust, etc. So, uh, Winmar and I regard regard ourselves as good, you know, very much good friends. And I did a lot of work on a one for one basis to help bring um, you know Cuz back into the club, which which successfully happened. Change of coaches was a difficult uh, time. It, I had just joined as president. I was a, a recruit president in that sense and had to, as I should have, listened to a lot of people. And it was a view to open up the, uh, open and open up the, the, the coaching responsibilities. Um, the, the Lockett matter was an interesting one is that, look, I, I could spend an hour or so talking about that. In summary, Tony uh, was made an outrageously good offer from the Sydney Swans. And in the end, we wish Tony the best. Uh, we got uh, draft picks for him. And if we look at how this club rebuilt itself in 94, 95, was very much with 17 young kids on the list. And the work we did was to get where we got to in 97, 98. Andrew, we, we, we probably don't, have an hour to talk about the, the locket situation, yes. but but could you could you give us a little bit more detail into how that unfolded? Because I think a lot of the footy world 
I guess, assumed that he would be going to a Collingwood or a Richmond that, that had been fairly public in, in their pursuit of players. Yes. And yeah. then all of a sudden he ends up at, at Sydney. Um, how, yeah. did, how did those negotiations unfold? And, and I guess, how did that, that trade happen? Okay. So uh, you're, you're absolutely got it correct. History is right. Uh, Richmond were chasing him hard, uh, as were the Collingwood Football Club. Uh, we had a position of uncontracted. He was an uncontracted player. And the other highlight act in, the, in that year's, in that draft was uh, Paul Roos. So there was two of them that were vying for, if you like, uh, equal top billing of, of, of potential money. So Collingwood made every effort they could to negotiate with us at St Kilda, as did the Richmond Football Club. Um, in the end, um, Sydney, um, Sydney offered us the best opportunity of draft choices. And um, to Sydney's credit, they offered Tony an absolutely fantastic deal. And all through this process, um, credit to Tony uh, was that he had always taken the view, um, ahead of his manager, of saying, I want to do the best for the St Kilda Footy Club. And the best draft choices and the best opportunities came from the Swans as well as the best package that they provided for Tony. So in, in that sense, he was an uncontracted player. Uh, he could have left us in the lurch and just gone and made decisions, but he worked uh, alongside us uh, as we worked with the Swans to get the best, best possible deal for him. He did for himself and get the best possible deal for the, for the Saints. So out of that, we've got four draft choices and uh, it enabled negotiations to take place as I said, you know, over that sort of two-year period, we recruited an enormous amount of players, Smith, Brown, Jones, Lappin. We got uh, Daryl Wakelin out of the plug at Dirl. So, uh, you know, I can go on with that list later on, Andrew Thompson, Max Hudson, et cetera, like that, Barry Hall. So we got the core of the group of players, Peter Everett, that supported this club for 10, 15 years, either playing for this club or other coaches using them as draft bait to go and trade up. So it was a fantastic group of players that we brought through the club. Sam, we think about those players that came in and the list we started building through 95, we started showing a bit of promise, then yep. started 96. We yep. end up and go and win the Anset Cup as it was at the time. Do you, do you think the win in that Anset Cup was actually a good thing for the club? Do you think it... it, it gave us, I guess, more confidence? Or do you think maybe that might have given us a bit of overconfidence like in going into the season? Because we know we didn't travel too well that year afterwards. Yeah, look, it was a mixed a mixed year. Interesting, Aaron, because I had discussions, many discussions with Stan about this after we'd won it. How hard, you know, the question was for us, how hard were we going to go for it? And uh, was it important to us? Was it important for the club? Two reasons it was important. One, to give uh, a lot of young guys the ability of playing together, uh, which certainly evolved. Um, the other thing it gave us was we had to win four games in a row to get there. And one of the disciplines of football is consistently winning footy client, uh, games, which perhaps our club might want to reflect on at the moment. But it just gave us a sense of purpose of winning four games in a row. Later on in the season, we got uh, chewed out in many games. I remember one big one against North Melbourne. And the answer in 95, if you look at um, the profile, the, uh, the, uh, the strength and conditioning of many of our younger players, Jones, Smith, Brown, we just weren't physically able to match clubs like then Essendon and then North Melbourne. But we quickly grew. 
when the players got 20 to 30 games under their belt, developed physically. So 96 was a sort of year of coming together. We weren't quite strong enough to compete at the top end. A two-part, question. The, sorry. Say a two-part question on 97. So obviously it started poorly. How close did it come to, to reaching an end point for Stan in about round five? And then I read an interesting article a few years ago about the build-up to the grand final, how I think you were still in the office at 10 o'clock the night before taking calls from other presidents, uh, John Elliott, uh, Richard Collis, offering you tickets, offering you advice on what to do and all of that sort of thing. Can you... Take us through the Stan evolution that year and then how you handled grand final week. It would have been obviously quite unique. Yeah. So, look, so firstly with Stan, uh, there was somebody had started a story in the press and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't ourselves. We had, we had Stan under no pressure. But I do remember the game. Um, you know, memories. We played Brisbane, I think, around six. It was a hot day, 30 degrees in Brisbane. And we lost the game. Uh, and we should never have lost the game. I remember walking across the Oval and getting a mobile phone call from a, one of the journos from The Age saying, I believe Stan Alves is, uh, is about to be fired, which was news to me and news to Jerry Rahm, a vice president and other board members. Anyway, it sort of got a little bit of momentum, so I had to hold meetings all during that week. And my, my response to the media was, you know, it's not Stan under the pressure. The whole club's under pressure. You know, we expected to be doing something special in 97, and we weren't. So... Thankfully, we turned the pressure off Stan. He put the pressure, he took the pressure off himself, um, certainly straightened a lot of things out within the club structure of how, of how we're going to approach games. And after that, we, we sort of clicked and, and came together. So uh, there was no pressure from the board on Stan. There was pressure within the football department, within the playing group and all the other coaches of how we were managing ourselves. So it was an internal pressure and we were not doing well. We managed to sort ourselves out, though. Um, grand final week. Uh, you guys are great saints like myself. So one thing I remember doing is started really on the Monday night, and, you know, I sat next to well, a table in the back of the boy Harvey who won that Brownlow medal. So, uh, you know, one thing that we all promised each other, uh, I think everyone was, you know, looking to say, oh, look, the Saints are going to get ahead of themselves. They're all going to get out in the, on the booze. You know, the, that's the officials, people like myself. So I spent a, a week of not drinking, um, sitting there just enjoying the company. Uh, you know, the Carbine Club was on Tuesday, but it was all very serious stuff. I tried not to be uh, what I can be, and that is having a drink and enjoying myself. So it was a very disciplined week for everybody within the club, and it was a busy week for us. But, um, you know, with, with, with Harves winning the Brownlow on the Monday, uh, all the other events that take place, it was, it was a, you know, a, week to, a week to remember, um, except for the Saturday. Andrew, uh, we, we've spoken to a number of the, the players that were out there that day on yep. the Saturday and, and about their disappointment, how they had to rebound, I guess, physically, mentally, emotionally. Obviously, there's... Uh, Joel Smith during the year does his knee and, and doesn't come back. Uh, a number of other players, Nicky Winmar leaves the club not long after you know, that 97, 98 period. But from a business perspective, a club perspective, how do you rebound, um, I, I guess, as an executive, as a board, as a football club from that yeah. disappointment, especially with all that expectation and, and the pressure on, on the club yeah. from, you know, from, from fans, from sponsors, yeah. all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So, Nick, I think one thing we were expecting – uh, and that was because we'd only won one premiership in our life and people would gloss over 
the importance, uh, the critical importance of losing, um, of, of losing Spider, all Australian ruckman, and you know, to me, it was as important to uh, us as Max Gorn is to the Melbourne Football Club. You know, not only for his rucking ability to go forward and kicking goals. So, Spider was just in brilliant form, and he was so important to us. And then losing Lazar, Vitovic. I mean, you know, Lazar was a you know was a workhorse for us in the ruck. So to lose them, as you said, Nick, to lose um, J- uh, Smith, our forward flanker, and when we played Collingwood round eighteen or whatever it was, and then to have you know the misfortune of Nicky losing his dad, dying on the Thursday, etc., like that, it was a it was a, t- a tough time for the a tough time for all of us. And uh, I think we all understood that we were going to be somewhat vilified by many in the media, uh, you know, for being another failure, can't get to uh, success. You know, when you look at our odds and look at our performance in that preliminary final, uh, one would normally have expected us, even notwithstanding some of those injuries, probably to uh, to make a real fist of it, which at halftime we're 14 points up. And as you know, Nick, we lost the game. So it was tough. It was tough on the club. Um I think one of the things we did from a business point of view was that we sort of set ourselves some targets at everything we did. We had to have a, a measurement for results, and that is um, across the club, you know, marketing had to increase by 5%. We had a 5% rule on everything we did, you know, improvement in players' fitness. So everything we measured was in incremental by degree. So the old adage, you know, Kevin Cheedy has extolled us over the years that, you know, if you don't do anything, you don't improve, you stand still, you're going to effectively going backwards in AFL footy. So we put a real test of it on ourselves of incrementally measuring everything that we did from the club, both in the office, in the marketing and in the sales and also player performance. And you know what? We got there and uh, we started off 98, you know, winning games, not by huge margins, but by winning, I think you guys can probably quote me, you know, by around 12, 13 um, we were first or second on the ladder. So we were up back there, up there again. Um, and then things uh, at the back end of the season fell apart. And, uh, it was it was unfortunate. We put too much pressure on ourselves. And you know what? Um, Stan had put a lot more pre- un, un, unworldly pressure on the whole of the football department. It was not a good, comfortable scene to be in at the back end of the season. We just, we just went too hard on too many things. It just didn't bring enough, uh, uh, didn't bring enough people along with us on a really tough ride. Yeah, one of the other the business parts of the club that came up towards the end of your tenure was the move to the Docklands. Um, yeah. How did you view the deal we were getting when we were going to Docklands? There's been like a number of people saying we we copped a bit of a the bad end of the pineapple i guess on with the with the deal but how did you view it when you first got to see it yeah so aaron uh it's got to be looked at in many many parts is that um we employed uh pro bono boston consulting uh to do all the comparisons on every offer that we had we had offers from the mcg and and we had the offer uh we had the offer from 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 eddie had so that was all measured out what people, I won't say tend to forget about, but one of the, because you're asking a good question here, one of the things that we managed to get was guarantees from the AFL on our 97 grand final year, guarantee on gate receipts, guarantee on marketing, guarantee on outdoor advertising, et cetera, like that. 
So when ultimately I handed the you know the club to uh, the president Rod Butters, as I said, you know there's a lot of things you don't have to concern yourself about. You will, but you're guaranteed income for five years on a lot of business lines here. So in that sense, um, the club had some comfort that financially it knew where its position was. Reserve seating was another thing. The AFL, through Ross Oakley, also bought additional sponsorship. I mean, we regained Carlton United Breweries as a sponsor after the Tui's deal was off, and I think that was an extra half a million dollars a year. So as much as people can paint a bad picture, for us it was a pretty good picture. And I guess that we all have to sort of remember as well, at the end of the day, there was an AFL commission that tells you where to go. And uh, by this stage, I knew a lot of commissioners and I knew the view of the AFL. And the AFL view was, you go into the Docklands, boys. So we had to make a great deal out of it. And uh, look, things didn't quite work out the way that the game didn't open up, uh, that the ground didn't open up and in, under great circumstances. Uh, but, it, you know, we've done okay. We've done okay. We're surviving. We're doing okay there. You, you mentioned the environment, I guess, around the, the back end of 98 and the pressure that was on the club, on Stan, from Stan, et cetera. How did, I guess, from your perspective, what was what was that like, that period of you know, 10 or 15 weeks through the, the, the back end of 98 uh, leading into, into 99? And, and how did the, the end of Stan Alves' um, tenure at the club come, come about? Well, I think... Um, uh... Uh, you know, I, I want to be a little cautious because I want to be very respectful of Stan and the, and the work that he did. But it, I can just say, Nick, we had a complete breakdown within the club of communication and ability to get along with each other. And there was just, uh, you know, a breakdown between assistant coaches, chairman of selectors, the head coach, people in the football department. And, and indeed, this rubs off on footballers. Um, so if one looks and analyzes why we lost those, you know, because we, we fell into the finals indeed with a second chance. But if we, mm. if we, if we look at the loss of those games at the very back end of the season with no injuries, somebody's got a question: Is how does a club that played in the grand final last year, started the year off and did so well, end up losing those block of games? And there was just a complete, absolutely moribund club in regards to wanting to get on together, do things together. And I'm not apportioning blame at the head coach, but, you know, obviously the head coach has got to take responsibilities and, and therefore a decision was made um, for, for us and Stan to depart. Again, let me just repeat, for all the other things of getting us to the grand final, et cetera, like that, one never wants to lose sight of giving Stan enormous praise. And you know what? I, you know, I don't have deep conversations with Stan about it, but I respect Stan. I caught up with him a couple of weeks ago at the team of the decade, and I don't want to in any way, you know, decry his performance over, over the years, but it was a tough, it was a tough couple of months for the footy club. It's it's nice to hear that, I guess, because you you hear whispers about, you know, the senior, you know, Stan lost the senior players, and there's all these stories that kind of float around, and yeah. you know, nobody ever really wants to, to talk about. It. So it's nice to hear that you, I guess you still have a, a decent enough relationship with Stan. And and it's it was nice to see him there at that that function uh, yeah. the other week as well. Well, the other thing is that, you know, I, I suppose that the hardest thing to do is when you've professionally led a team like Stan has is that when you look back and you're retrospective about it and you admit to, you know, you know significant errors being made along the, along the tour, and Stan uh, made a speech at that luncheon and, you know, he wasn't apologetic in a sense, but he was mindful of all the things that happened at the you know, St Kilda Football Club in his last year of coaching. 
last one from me, I guess a, a two-parter. So do, do you feel that some of that tension kind of lingered on in the sense that obviously we fell away a bit 99-2000, but after you left, obviously that tumultuous 2001 where Butters and Co get Malcolm Bly, that last half of season, he's gone, Grant Thomas comes in. Were you sort of sitting there on the outer thinking, bloody hell, uh, what's going on there? And, and and how do you feel now? Obviously, 20 years down the track, we've, we've obviously played finals a bit. We're sort of on the way back now after some lean periods, but the club got very close to winning that flag that you nearly won. Yeah. So look, I, uh, you know, I, I was uh, always interested in in in, in uh, where 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 uh, Rod was going to take the club. Um, you know, I put him on the board. I was pleased to you know to, to see he wanted to become involved, and I've you know remained. I, you know, I not remained. I have become good friends of Rod Butters. Um, I, I, so I could say this about Rod. The first two years, I thought of his presidency was just not that good. You know, it was he was sort of everywhere and. The back end of his uh, coaching uh, of his presidency, I thought, was fantastic. He was t- he was enigmatic. You know, he was always looking to do deals. He he did, he did a, a fantastic job. Um, the question is, uh, the blight the blight case was an interesting one, um, and I'm not so sure Malcolm uh, Blight, in retrospect, really wanted to coach, but he was talked into coaching. It was a great opportunity for him to earn a sizable amount of money and. And um, look, I think the board did the absolute right thing with discontinuing with Malcolm. I think uh, you know uh, then then because he behind the scenes Thomas came involved and Thomas, you know, managed to um, uh, weave some magic and also cause a lot of a, again some other tensions within the club. So it's been an interest. It's been an interesting ride. Uh, the other, I guess, big decision that we made towards the other end of your tenure as well was we decided to give a newsreader the head position head head coach position um what what was it that tim wasn't brought to the table that sort of put him above other candidates that we had at the time what, what was it that made him stand out yeah to them well i i i think you've been listening to to uh to an interesting interview that uh, i did many years ago with mike sheehan to call him the newsreader one of the most celebrated, you know, with great respect, one of the most celebrated people in football, the on the on field uh, coach of the Essendon Football Club of three hundred games, revered in the game. Um, it, it was very interesting. One of the discussions I had with Trevor Barker, you know, in, in losing Trevor, was the t- profile and type of coach that the club was potentially going to look for, and um, it was a a new generation coach. I look long and hard, you know, not for an old recycle, you know, I won't say recycle, but an older coach was to look for somebody young to bring this team because at this stage, the team had, uh, the team had matured and um, there was an expectation that the senior players would take on an increased level of responsibility as the Carlton players did in the late nineties with Parkin. And I can give you plenty of other examples, uh, you know, with the Brisbane Lions under, under that. There was a level of maturity in our club. People criticise our club for lack of leadership. 17 of those people have gone on, you know, whether it be young Lappin, whether it be Harvey, et cetera, to coach and stand up in senior football positions. So, you know, there was not a question of this club leading, having, you know, leadership problems. Hall went on to captain the Swans to a premiership. Daryl Wakelin went on to be the uh, uh, vice-captain of Port Adelaide to win a premiership. 
So the club, uh, which I will argue long and hard for, had a dutiful rank of senior people that knew what they were doing, that could do things. What the club needed was a Trevor Barker type of coach and Watson fitted that bill quite and, you know, was directive, been able to work with young people and senior players as well. And he did it. What, what happened was that Tom, uh, that, um, that, you know, there was a sort of expectation. Uh, you know, we looked halfway through that first season. I mean, again, Aaron, if you want to call him a newsreader, call him a newsreader, but you've just been disrespectful. Um, you know, we were second on the ladder half, uh, halfway through the season. Then there was just a gap in that, and I'm not going to go there, but, you know, Tim blames himself of not being able to get the message through to his other coaching staff. We lacked an assistant coach that we had previously signed up when we are going to sign up when uh, Tim had arrived. So there's a whole lot of issues behind it. Andrew, I guess last one from me, a uh, little bit of a, a two-parter, I guess, but what what do you see, having been in the seat, what do you see makes a, a good president of a football club? We've seen a lot of different personalities come through different footy clubs from your John Elliott, Eddie Maguire, Jeff Kennett. Yeah, at our footy club, we've had some quieter guys like since Rod Butters, Greg Westaway, Peter Summers, and, and now Andrew Bassett. What makes yeah. a good president? And and I guess lastly, what's your relationship as a fan now with, with the football club? I mean, are you there watching every week? How do you feel about the footy club these days? Uh, well, let's answer that first. I feel, you know, I feel good. I'm welcome, very welcome in, in the football club. Um, I knew Bassett in a prior life. Um, I uh, I know the chief executive well uh, from his days back with the Players Association. I am involved. I am chairman of uh, Community Concussion Australia, so I have an involvement uh, with the health and welfare of AFL footballers, particularly, uh, you know, we all have knowledge of one footballer that suffered from CTE at our club. Um, so in that sense, I have a good relationship. I'm a life member of the club. Uh, I tend to, you know, get to events that are important. I get regularly. I'm still, you know, great friends with the players. Um, I uh, I get to games. I, you know, typically at Etihad, I get invited to games by others. It's I have lots of other things in my life. I do a lot of sailing still, competitive sailing. So. You know, I'm active, but I, I love the club and I still go there and give them advice and, and, and catch up with particularly past players. You know, I go um, regularly with football with Gary Collin, et cetera, like that. So, you know, lifelong friends I have from the St Kilda Footy Club. What's the profile required? I think the profile's changed a little bit. It did require, back in my years, when I look at the great personalities, they're not saying they're not great personalities now, but clubs were very much president-led in many ways. Um, the chief executives, uh, you know, tended to sit behind the scenes a little bit. And, you know, the egos and the great sort of um, sprookers in the market and entrepreneurs and those like Elliot, McGuire, I was thinking of all the, you know, the, the mates I had in all the interstate clubs, uh, were all the upfront people presenting for and on behalf of the club. Now it's very much more controlled by CEO. The CEO role has been lifted a few notches. There's certainly their pay grade has been, and they are a critical and important part of the club now. You know, in a sense of public, you know, the public, in, in a public sense, you know, chief executives have a more exacting and higher profile role than they ever did back in the days, you know, in, in the 90s when I was president. 
it was an incredible period at the club from 93 to 2000. There were a number of significant challenges and significant decisions. And you always led the club through that with, uh, with passion. And, and we appreciate you giving us some time. You've got a, a major role and a major chapter in the, uh, in the club's history. And we, uh, we appreciate all you did. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Andrew Plimpton, there's some good insights, particularly the Stan L stuff from the late 90s, which has always been, a, I guess, a hotbed conversation uh, amongst St Kilda supporters. We, we look ahead to Sydney. Last year, of course, this was just about our, our most frustrating loss when we uh, had numerous chances. Uh, Jack Higgins obviously missed a heap of shots. We got beaten narrowly. We then came back and beat them pretty comfortably at Marvel in the back end of the year, uh, which was a bit of an unearthing of, of the likes of Cooper Sharman on that particular night. But... Really, it's about, you know, we can analyse the game all we like. We know we are capable on our day of, of winning games like this. We've won in Perth this year. We've won in Adelaide this year. We've beaten Geelong. We've beaten Richmond. Uh, we've been ultra competitive on a number of occasions, such as at the Gabba. Sydney are 3-3, three and three, I think, at home this year. They, they've been a little bit dicey at times, obviously getting beaten by the likes of the Gold Coast and Brisbane and uh, teams of that nature and, and obviously had narrow wins. I get four and two, actually. Narrow wins over North and, and Richmond. So they don't always play their best football there. And, and they're in a very similar position to us. They're eight and five coming off a frustrating loss to Port last week. Um, but we know they're always honest. They, they're always likely to do what they need to do under pressure. And you've got to do it with them and better than they do. And to me, it's really just a case of what do you stand for, uh, Saints? I think everybody knows that that was unacceptable. I think they know that it's unacceptable. And I like what Rhett Ratton said after the game, saying you're going to have a shit weekend. That was a very disappointing performance, the most disappointing in his time at the club and he put it on the players saying that if you want to achieve what you want to achieve you're going to have to do it the hard way so you are capable of it but what do you stand for are you prepared to put that in the rearview mirror and not produce that again and you will be forgiven we'll always come back we're loyal we you know what I mean we're suckers for punishment by Saturday and Sunday morning I was messaging Saints mates about how we were going to beat Sydney and structure up and you, you get back on the horse and you keep going despite the fact that it was a pain in the ass uh all the way through that weekend. But again, here we are and we'll be here again, but it's up to you to respond to what was an unacceptable performance on your behalf. So Jack Steele comes back. Clearly that's a spark. Cooper Sharman, I think is important to the structure. Paddy Ryder managed. I think he's been struggling a little bit over the last couple of weeks. So has Marshall, but we know Marshall is generally better one out. Um, we take that risk again that if Marshall goes down, we're obviously a bit light on in the ruck. We don't have Jack Hayes, Tom Campbell, probably a bit of a liability on a smaller ground perhaps. So, um, yeah, it, it comes down to that type of structure. Obviously, Brad Hill is, is out of the side as well, which does hurt us a little bit. And probably the decision to drop Jack Higgins as opposed to, to Dan Butler. I think both of the small forwards were disappointing. Jack Higgins probably guilty of cheating a little bit, like sneaking out the back and not working as hard as he needed to do. So I'm not, not disappointed in the decision, but I would argue that his worth is still higher than that of, of Butler on the evidence of just about every single conceivable measurement. So that's a little bit frustrating, but... Shaman comes back in, but really it's just that it's, it is a case of you still have your destiny in your own hands. You've made life harder for yourself. So what are you going to do about it effectively? Um, this is a huge game for us, season defining. You've, you've got to get back on the bike and you've got to fix it and you've got to fix it now. I think that, you know, you, you asked the perfect question. Uh, St Kilda Football Club, what do you stand for? This is, this is an opportunity and, you know, it may not come all at once, but this is an opportunity for redemption. 
this is a chance for you to stand up and say, we're sorry. We didn't, we didn't do what we needed to do last week and we're going to come out and we are going to do everything possible. doesn't guarantee a win. It never does. And, and I'm, I'm not for one second saying that even if we go out, and, out there and play our best, there is no guarantee that you win games of football. But at the very least, you expect the energy, the fight, and for these guys to go out there believing that they can win games of football like this. We know that we can beat Sydney. We did it last year. We should have beaten them at the SCG last year. Like you said, if not for missed opportunities, we probably should have beaten them by five or six goals. Instead, we, we dropped the game completely, um, which ultimately makes the, the Higgins-Butler discussion even more intriguing because he was probably the best player on the ground on that day. Uh, and I, I think you're right. The, the, I think we've seen enough out of Jack Higgins that for everything that happened last week, you can, you know what you're going to get out of Jack Higgins. He's, he's a bit of a different beast. He's a, he's an odd unit. He's a weird unit, uh, but he, he plays a little bit taller. He still contributes at ground level generally, but he, he plays a bit taller than he is. He can mark the ball overhead. Um, he can, he can create a contest. Um, and he, he has some weird running patterns that, that confuse defenses. Occasionally Dan Butler is a, baffling decision i've done my best to stand up for the bloke for two years um you know in the face of a lot of criticism and i just cannot see how he survives this one and jack higgins doesn't uh without some underlying decision you know whether it's an injury or an eagle or whatever brad hill out is is a big loss he's been one of our best players all year uh and i, I don't think that that can be understated however if there's one ground in the competition that it probably suits him to miss. It's probably this one. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you had to pick a game that, that Brad Hill's going to miss, it's probably Sydney at the SCG. Um, yeah, it's a shame that Dan McKenzie uh, is not quite right, that, that he had another setback during the week and, and he's not back in. I think we missed him and we missed his energy and, and passion last week, big time. And I'm not sure any of us 12 months ago would have said that we really missed Dan McKenzie. Uh, and, and what he's been able to do this year has been nothing short of incredible um, and, and worthy of, of credit. And, and we really missed him last week. But, you know, ultimately it comes down to what, you know, what are you going to give us this week? Are you going to give us the, the dribble that we saw last week or are you going to show up and, and give us something to, to hold a hat on and to support you moving forward? Um, because that ultimately we're there to support them, not the other way around. Um, you know, they are the reason that we follow the football club mm -hmm. is to watch players play football and to win games of football. And we don't do that often enough in the history of football. Club. We know that, but, you know, give us something, just give us something. Yeah, I think so. And, and look, our outside profile, H, is, is interesting. Obviously, we're used to having Hill, Sinclair, probably McKenzie, Woods, even Liner at times this year on the outside. Uh, with Wanganeen Malera, but obviously Wanganeen Malera will have a lot of responsibility in this role. Billings, certainly as a, an outside type runner. You think Windhager plays? He was obviously the sub last week. They haven't dropped him. So he's, in, um, he's in, named in the 20, in the 22 this week. So yeah, 
so um, and that's yeah. fair enough. He dominated for for Sandy on the on the weekend. So yeah, I'm just curious. Is that obviously it's a small ground, as Nick said, in terms of um, you know, you can get bottled up a little bit, Sydney. You know, you might be able to get them on the inside of the contest, but we've got a very inside midfield for this game with Steele, Windhager, Burns, Ross, Crouch, Gresham, Jones. Um, uh, Jones can obviously do it on, on both the inside and the outside. But, yeah, we, we wouldn't want to get exposed too much on the outside of the pack because we're a bit light on there. We want to probably uh, win the contest. No, the the first thing that we do need to pick up, which we really didn't show any of on the weekend, was our tackling and our pressure. Um, we really lapsed in that last week. There, there was just hanging back, thinking, oh, someone else will tackle, someone else will chase, someone else will... Put, put the pressure on this player who's who's running to the ball or has the ball or is going for the ball. There was there was just no, I'm going to get in front of them. I'm going to take them on. I'm going to tackle them. It, it was it was a lot of yeah, just sitting back and waiting for something to happen. Whereas we, we're going up to Sydney, we're really going to have to put pressure on them. I mean, it takes a kick and a half to get from the back line to a shot at goal up there. It's it's such a short ground that the if you're not putting the pressure on from from the back line, if they're just running it straight out, you can almost kick it from the top of the defensive 50 and land in your buddy's arms 50 metres out. Then he's just going to swing on the left and kick a goal. It's it's a really dangerous thing to not actually really pressure them. They're a tackling team themselves. We've we've got to match them. And that's, and that's where it starts. If we don't match them there, they're, they're just going to run all over us. Um, but it's going to be a lot of short handles, a lot of short kicks, a lot of short um, just just hitting the ball on to find that open player because you don't get a lot of open space in Sydney. So you've really got to get that short game right, get the ball out to the make, – make, make the space, get the, play, the ball out to someone – on the wing by themselves, if they can find it and then hit those targets. Because if, if you're not making the space yourself, if you're just crowding, if you just, just, I guess not, or just bong it long from within a pack, as we've seemed to have done, you just basically am going to give up the, give up the ball straight away. And yeah, then you've got nothing to go with. So get that little game right first get the pressure on them, get the ball to the back of the pack and then look for the outlets. We, it's, it's, we need to move the ball properly. Otherwise, yeah, we really going to struggle. It's a real effort game, as you mentioned, H. Like, this, this is the Sydney Swans. I mean, we, we talk about not being able to trust our football club. Yeah, if there's one thing that you can trust in the Sydney Swans, it's that they're going to put the effort in. It doesn't matter if they're a reasonable team, a great team or a poor team, you know what you're going to get in terms of effort and energy out of them. And they've been that way for 20 years and you you, you can trust them. As a, as a Swans fan, you're reasonably confident that they're going to show up week after week um, regardless. Uh, last week, you mentioned tackling, H. We had no player that had more than four tackles for the game. I mean, that's for a team that's got Brad Crouch and, Jack Steele, obviously, still didn't play, but this this is this is where we're at coming into this game. Is that we need to turn up with energy and toughness, and and we've got to win the ball, and we've got to win the contest, and we've got to be the hunter again. Forget about being the hunted. Forget about being, you know, one of the top four teams in the competition. 
you're struggling to make the eight right now. You, you are the hunter, not the hunted. Go out and hunt. Hunt the ball. Hunt the player. Make every possession. Make every tackle. Make every touch count. And that's that's all you can ask. Yep, spot on. And uh, we'll be very interested to see it on Saturday night as we, you know, we all regain the faith slowly as the week goes on and get ready for a uh, another roller coaster. Before we wrap things up, the awards, that's so St Kilda. Nick, do you want to uh, kick us off with something? There's probably a reasonable field. <laughs> There's a few. I've, I've gone with just the performance on the big stage. I mean, we, we speak every year about wanting more opportunity on a Friday night, about playing at the G, about, you know, finals type atmosphere and big games and, year after year we're not given it because we don't show up and we've had a few opportunities this year and we haven't shown up and that's that's so St Kilda. H? Yeah I, I think there's gonna be a common theme this week I think um it's as I said earlier we looked we looked at what the draw coming ahead was and we're going that's the game we have to win and it, it, it's just so St Kilda we dropped the game that we should not drop and now we've got to fight tooth and nail the to just stay in contention so yeah i think that i think that's just going to be the common theme throughout by the looks of it oh for fuck's sake yeah essendon's probably one word that i'd throw to mind as being so st kilda but probably just the theme of the year i mean toby green back from suspension the week that the other uh, giants played the saints joe danaher back from injury and played a pivotal role that week against us bailey smith's double suspension ends the week they play st kilda Josh Bruce, I think, will probably be due back uh, around about then as well. And uh, a tweet from Carlton in regards to Jacob Wiedering uh, a few days ago saying that he's tracking a week ahead of schedule and is now tipped to return against the Saints next week. So um, it is quite extraordinary that that has happened every single time. But I don't think there's been a single touch-and-go selection this year where they haven't got up for that game. So to me, that's that's a, a clear pattern that's uh, so St Kilda over the course of the year. The... Uh, Shannon Noll Award for, uh, in fact, we'll go that last because, uh, actually, no, we'll go it first because we'll try to finish on a positive. But the Shannon Noll Award, H, is probably, again, a few that we could throw into the uh, you've got a lift category. But uh, can you single one out in particular? I was just going to throw the whole team in. The whole team has to lift this week. <laughs> There's not one individual that doesn't need to lift up. This, pick their socks up this week. That, and that's as simple as I can put it. Um, we've got the captain back. We've got a few players obviously out. Everyone has to pick up this week. There's no excuse for anyone trailing along behind. Everyone's got to throw themselves at it. And that's as simple as it gets this week. Nick, have you got one for us? Yeah. Uh, Brett Ratton, I think you're the leader of this football club and there's a number of clear deficiencies in the football club, one of which is this energy, effort, whatever you want to call it, turning up on the big stage and and Spud's game and, and whatever. If you can't get your footy club up for a night like that, then th- there's some problems there. Uh, and I don't think that is that sits solely on on Brett Ratton, but there are a few other things. You look at the the functionality of our forward line, and Max King has no room to move to to lead. There, there is no movement around him that takes the pressure off, and and we end up dropping the ball on his head 
time after time and, and he's competing against three or four blokes every time. So fix our forward structure. Get Max King some space. He's the future of our football club. He's the star of our forward line. Give him an opportunity to not just compete but actually impact. Um, Jack Sinclair, I thought, was another one. You, you mentioned him before, H. He was he was quite good. He okay, he was all right, but um, he was at, at halfback for seventy five percent, eighty percent of the game, where his best performances this year have been in the middle, impacting in the middle at the contest, running past, delivering forward. We had him at halfback in in a game where we so desperately needed impact in the middle of the ground. And we saw for a period when he came into the middle in in the third quarter that he had an impact. And then later in the last, when the game was lost, he went back in the middle and had an impact and it was too late. So why are we going away from the things that we know what works, that's, that's worked all year and in a game that we're being slaughtered essentially at the contest in the middle of the ground, you go away from ultimately our best player all season in the guts. And, and that was a baffling decision for mine watching that game. And I, I just think rats, you've got to, you've got to lift, but you've got to lift the team. And, and that's, that's where I'm at with this kind of lift Shannon Noll award is rats. You've got to lift in a number of ways. And, and one of those is lifting the team out of this funk that we're in. For me, one of our major strengths is our dual ruck combination, Marshall and, and Ryder. It's won us a lot of games over the last three years. It's been really important. But I'd say their last two weeks collectively, they've probably been the poorest they've, they've just about had. Ryder probably in need of a rest, and he gets that this week. And Marshall, we know, doesn't influence quite as much when he's got a second ruckman there as he does when he's one out. He's, he's always been, you know better player when he's had that role on his own. Well, he's got it on his own this week. He's been okay for for most of the season, in fact, pretty good for most of the season, but the last couple of weeks, certainly a bit down. He has to play well for us to win this game. If he gets beaten in the ruck as our sole option effectively in that part of the ground, then we're in trouble. So um, it's a time now where this is the scenario that has always suited him as a player. It's a ground that's a good ground for Ruckman as a general rule. Uh, It also allows him to get forward and influence He'll get a little bit of a chop out of times from battle, but uh, he's just about the most important player to this result, I would think. So we need him to uh, to deliver a big one for us this week. Um, and he hasn't played a big one for a little while. Um, the Jason Blake Award to finish things up, Nick, um, any unheralded that you'd like to mention? An, an interesting one because I don't think anyone kind of deserves it after the last week. So I'm going to go a little bit left of field. And Jack Steele, the captain, pretty serious injury. Hasn't played for a month, but, you know, this is the type of effort that we need to see this week where your captain, your leader of the club puts, you know, makes every post a winner to get back two weeks earlier than expected, which we all knew that he would. There was never any doubt that Jack Steele would do everything possible to get back earlier than expected. And he's done that. uh, And and that's the type of leadership that you expect out of, out of your captain. We know it's the type of effort and energy that you get from Jack Steele and, and, you know, that's exactly what we need right now is someone leading by example and putting the hard yards to, to do better than expected. That's exactly what we need right now. Spot on H. And let the field also that I think who needs the plaudits for after last week's games, the fans are continuing to keep turning up that, that that's as simple as going to go with it. I think, we we keep turning up even after that sort of result, and you you go, yeah. I, I think it's about time the fans out there, us, we all get some sort of 
recognition to for what for what we put in, what we go through each week. It's it's it, cool. it, as yeah. we were talking earlier in the game, it's absolutely heartbreaking the sort of things you go through sometimes. So the fans out there, you deserve it this week. No, hundred percent. Yeah, we uh we're back again. We front up every week and, and we have to deal with the pain sometimes as I think, you know, players are temporary. I mean, they care, of course, but they're there for a short time. We're here for a, a lifetime and we have to carry all of this around. And, you know, we talk about games from 2003 that still hurt and things like that. It's, um, you know, we've got to have thick skins to do what we do. I'm going to give a small mention to Marcus Windhager. I thought that he um, was dropped from the senior side. He had a pretty good year, but he got dropped back to the twos, obviously with some clear instructions and, Went back to Sandy and Blitz, 31 possessions, two goals, dominated clearances, did everything you would have asked him to do, and then he comes straight back in. So that's a really good response from from him. And obviously with some good players coming back and some good players around the group, um, he's, he's done exactly what you want him to do. He kept putting pressure on and, and obviously showed that he's probably a cut above that level below. So um, well handled by Marcus, and he should enjoy this ground, I think. So um, fingers crossed for a, a pretty positive day. But... I think we've we've found a way to get through that after um yeah what was a, a day that probably surprised most of us last Friday night and let's hope that we don't see that again for a very very long time and we'll all feel a little bit better about life if they can salute on Saturday night and get things back on track but uh, go Saints.